In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Psychic listeners, welcome to another episode of A Psychic Story. Dr. Alexandra Sharon received a master's degree in teaching from Seattle University and a doctorate from Valdosta State University. She is the author of 14 books, including 365 Ways to Develop Your Psychic Ability, 365 Ways to Strengthen Your Spirituality, Clearing Clutter, and Fairies and Elementals for Beginners. This is the story of Dr. Alexandra Sharon. Thank you so much for joining and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I am very excited to get into many things because you've, I mean, writing 14 books. Wow, that's just a feat. I've only written one and I can already tell you that was enough for me, I feel like. But um, before we get into all the things, if you can just share with listeners a little bit about yourself and how you even got started, you have a very fascinating story. Thanks. Uh, well, I actually think I've written like over 26 books now, but that's just counting ebooks and things like that. So I guess my backstory is that I'm a Wiccan. And so that's been a part of my life for a long time. When I was a child, I started experiencing supernatural sort of psychic phenomena. My mother was a very psychic person. She loves to read tarot cards. And so as a teenager, when I told her, hey, I'm experiencing this supernatural phenomena, she was very supportive, but she was like, you need to figure this out for yourself, but I am happy and here to support you while you're doing that. And I ended up reaching out to my local magical community. I was living near Seattle at the time and uh, got fell in with some druids, as you do, <laughs> and uh, ended up practicing magic. Uh, when I became an adult, I was initiated into British traditional Wicca. And so that really informs a lot of my life and practice. And uh, of course, I started my own uh, psychic business when I was pretty young. Actually, when I was in college, it was the heyday of the psychic hotlines, you know, Miss Cleo was on the TV saying, tell me now for your free (laughs) readings, you know. Whatever happened to Miss Cleo? No, just kidding. Let's not not get into that. Anyway, uh, so that was that heyday. And so I basically worked my way through college on one of those hotlines. And um, so then uh, I started my own private practice and met with people one on one. And um, yeah, so that's that's my life. And now I write a lot of books as well. 
Yeah. What was your first kind of spiritual experience? You mentioned that you were having some experiences and then your mom was supportive and you found a network and a community that helped you lean into that and grow and understand. But can you share a little bit about that? Because you wrote it out and I was like, whoa, I haven't had anyone about it. And also, do you call that like telekinesis? So yeah, I I had some telekinesis experiences where uh, I could light a candle basically with my mind. And sometimes when I wasn't really intending to, like a bit of flame would like fall on the table and I'd freak out and or I'd, have, I'd have a glass, like my water glass by my bed break if I was having a really bad dream. Mm. I also experienced a lot of out of body experiences during that time. And, uh, you know, I would really freak out about it. And my mom would come for me. She'd be like, that's an out of body experience. It's okay. It's natural. Oh, wow. And, uh, so yeah, so this this thing with the with the fire was very frightening to me. Obviously, I was scared I was going to burn the house down or that you know start a fire while I was sleeping, and and the breaking glass and things like that mm-hmm. was frightening to me. And it it persisted until I was a, a young college student. So my roommate <laughs> was scared so much oh of me gosh. that she moved out. <laughs> I don't blame them if you, they don't know what's going on or they don't know how to deal with it. Me, on the other hand, I'd be like, this is cool. What's going on? Let's explore this right. a little bit more. But, you know, you don't know who you're going to room with in college sometimes. Yeah, yeah she was She was very Christian and, and was very frightened of what was going on. She, I was very open about being a witch. And then when she saw the glass break and the glass fell all around me, but not on me. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, that's it. That's like, it. I'm oh moving out. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so it was very disturbing. And I reached out to a lot of magical practitioners. And basically the answer I was told was you need to learn grounding. And mm-hmm. for those listeners who don't know what that is, that's the process of kind of allowing the spiritual energy in your body to become centered and calm and alert, but calm, right? So you, you release any energy that's excess, which is what I had. And you also balance yourself by drawing in energies. If you're feeling like you don't have enough energy, like you're fatigued and things like that. So I started a daily grounding practice and this helped resolve the issues that I was experiencing. And so uh, now I no longer have those issues, but it was definitely a, a frightening time in my life, but also exciting because I had such supportive parents, you know, and my my parents were like, yeah, we'll help you. When I was younger, you know, we'll help you go. We'll drive you into Seattle to meet some druids, you know, and (laughs) it was it was really awesome that I had that support and understanding what I was going through. I can't imagine what it would have been like. If Not, I had been in yeah. a family where that was demonized, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I did not have the experiences you did, but my family was very supportive and I'm extremely lucky and grateful for that because that could have gone a wholly different direction had it not. I am curious, what was the age that you started to experience those things like the candle and the glass breaking? Because I hear that it depends on age too and also what people might be going through at that time in their life. It was right at 13. So I feel like it was very like, puberty like energy, you're getting which is so into funny the teens. because, yeah. yeah, because I have a 13 year old now. So I'm just like, I'm watching what's going on with her just emotionally, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I can see how, you know, if, if, if somebody doesn't know how to ground and they have a lot of magical energy, mm-hmm. you know, just enough knowledge to be dangerous <laughs> that you could have some problems, right? It's very Sabrina, the teenage witch that I would just like popped yeah, in my head a little bit, like that teenage year and going into things. And speaking of, do you mind, because not a lot of my listeners that I'm aware of are don't know a lot about witchcraft and or Wiccan and what 
constitutes or from your belief system, what that is, because I think it can get uh, twisted out there. And depending on religions or whatever, what witchcraft is, it's bad or it's good or it's, you know, that can, so can you share a little bit to educate people? Absolutely. So we throw around terms like Wicca and pagan. Pagan is an umbrella term. So all Wiccans are pagans, but not all pagans are Wiccans. Mm. Wicca is a type of witch. So All Wiccans are witches, but not all witches are Wiccan. And Wicca is a practice that is uh, honors a specific goddess and god uh, indigenous to the British Isles. It became public in 1954 when the Witchcraft Act was repealed in Britain. And so a man named Gerald Gardner said, hey, we're witches. We've been here. Here's a book about our practices. And he wrote a book called Witchcraft Today, which is the first nonfiction book about Wicca. He wrote a fiction book prior to that due to the the legality gray area that was going on. And uh, so we practice as we as we were taught and we're, we work in a coven and uh, we are initiated. We practice the same sort of practices as our elders did. And we keep passing that down. There's other forms of Wicca now today that are more eclectic, where people draw on many different cultures and practices to build their own understanding of what Wicca is. But British traditional Wicca, that's Wicca to me. Now, I'd love to get into and feel free to go wherever (laughs) you feel led to, but more on the elementals and the fairy side of things, because sometimes it's not been every single time, it's, it's rare, but I'll be talking to someone and I feel fairy energy or elemental energy around. They kind of pop in occasionally. So there's that. And I want to kind of know why maybe some people have fairies on their their spirit team. But before we even get into that, can you even share what is a fairy? Because you wrote the book about fairies and elementals for beginners. So share a little bit about who they are or what they are. Yeah, they're entities that are a part of nature and they are sort of personifications of these elemental energies. They're ways that we can work directly like it's a friend with things that are otherwise, you know, just tools or objects or something that seems inanimate to other people. So the reason some people might feel these things are inanimate and that fairies don't exist in any way, shape or form is because of uh, cultural suppression, I think. I think that every child kind of is born with this ability and this interest in nature and in the personification of things and in animism, the the idea that there's a soul in this rock, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's something special about this rock. And then as they grow up in our culture, that's often crushed out of them. You know, they'll say, you know, don't talk to that imaginary friend. And it's not just coming from parents. It's coming from peers as well. It's just a pervasive thing in our culture to, you know, either in some regions demonize this, this activity of being able to commune with fairies or in other ways, just make fun of it and say, no, it's silly. It's That's a child that thing. That is stupid. Yeah, yeah I'm growing it's a child up. thing. Like the whole Peter Pan thing. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I think Peter Pan was uh, very much all about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that it can be useful to continue to reconnect with nature in this way, in this very personal sense, uh, because it does bring you that understanding and that oneness with everything. And it also allows to your magical practice to grow and mature, actually, because you're able to call on these other beings and entities to assist you. And then you it's almost like you can set up 
some magic and have them do some of the work or carry it on mm-hmm. for you. And, and that's, that's really helpful. You know, it makes your magic more powerful and more enduring. So are they like guardian angels of certain types of earth things and elements? So like the trees and the flowers and the land, are they, I mean, I know that again, it's putting kind of a term or a definition, but for somebody that may want to understand, like, is it a soul of an, an element or is it more of a, a level of a being that helps, like you said, entity, but what's their role too? Both. So there's actually lots of fairies and elementals, just countless. Nobody, you know, nobody has been able to catalog all of these because of the limitations in our perceptions. And so, uh, and the diversity in our perceptions, you know, some people might actually see fairies while some other people might just have a sense of knowing in their presence, mm-hmm. right? So there's so many different kinds and they've been documented across so many different cultures. So in, in some, some cultures, the fairies are that animism, that life, like you said, the soul in the rock, right? So, so in, you know, this will happen in a lot of first nations or native, um, native belief systems. It will be like, there's a river and that river has a soul, you know, and that's, that's that entity. Um, in others, it's more like having, it's more like a, a minor deity of things, right? So there might be, so like, for example, uh, overarching idea of the elementals of each of the four elements. So fire has salamanders, which are these beings that sort of control the fire or they, then they are the fire at the same time. So it's almost like they're minor deities in a sense, in that they have this mm-hmm. power over this element. Um, and then for the water, there's the undines. And for the earth, there's the gnomes. And for the air, there's the sylphs. And so these four elemental beings are very, very powerful. And it's not just that they're the soul of the thing. It's like they are the thing. And they also are the deity or the the, the, the ownership, uh, the steward of this thing. Very well explained. Thank you for that. That's so fascinating. Like my wheels are turning. I'm wondering, I mean, as soon as you said there's so many, I, I saw in my mind's eye, so many that it's massive thinking like millions or billions. One thing I think I always find kind of funny is how people are afraid of Ouija boards. I also wrote the book Spirit Boards for Beginners. A lot of people will be like, oh, Ouija boards open up a portal and weird stuff can come through. And it's like, you know what? Weird stuff is everywhere already. (laughs) You know, there's natural, magical fauna everywhere and spiritual fauna everywhere you know there's more people who have died here than have lived here and so of course there's spirits and so i I find it funny that people think that a cardboard thing made by hasbro is somehow opening up this portal to all this when it's like it's already here you Mm -hmm. know yeah i saw that that you had written that and i have been i'm I'm probably part of the problem too only because i had an experience with an ouija board once and it was because Uh i was in the age group that I think a little bit younger where I wasn't quite a teenager, but I was starting to get into that. Uh, Energetically, that is. And it's not the board or the tool as much as just not knowing what you're doing and or ensuring that you're taking the appropriate steps. You can say the same thing with crystals or crystal balls or, you know, pendulums or what have you. Um, So yes, I agree with you on that. But it's also, I feel like eyes wide open if you're going to play around with things. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's not the tool that's the issue. The issue is your the activity that you're mm-hmm. doing, which is when you try spirit communication, you're painting a big spiritual target on you and Correct. saying, hey, here I am, mm-hmm. right? And when you're doing that with anything, then you're going to have experiences and you have to be ready for that. And it's not just 
young kids that might not be ready for that. It's also people like people who have recently suffered a loss will often come to me for spirit communication services. And I have to have a real talk and be like, you know, are you ready for this? Because, you know, sometimes the person might say something that it's not, you're not ready for in this period of grief, you know, mm -hmm. like sometimes a person might be angry, you know, we're used to seeing on TV where the ghosts come down and it's like, I love you and I'll always love you. You're going to be great. And some, some people are like that, but these are real people. And so, you know, grandma might come down and she might be really ticked off and she might have like a bunch of stuff for you to do. Like, you got to find this thing that I hid under the mattress <laughs> and pair it with this thing that I put in the closet. And, you know, people might not be ready for that. <laughs> they have a to-do list so on the really, other side too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Often they do when they first pass, if it's something that they weren't expecting, you know, even my dad did, even when he was, he was going to die of cancer, but he just had so many balls in the air when he died that he had a to-do list immediately for me <laughs> when I was, when I was ready to contact him. Well, before we close out the fairy thing, I do have a couple um, more other questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, how do you connect with and communicate with them? So is it just about being aware or are there certain things? And obviously you can get her book, Fairies and Elementals for Beginners, if you want to learn more, because we so much many more questions that I have that we have time for this episode. But yeah, maybe some things that people can do to better understand them or, or get to know them that you would recommend. Yeah, my biggest recommendation for fairies and elementals is making offering. Uh, fairies and elementals are very transactional. And so the idea is you give them things that they want, and then they give you things that you might want. It's kind of like, it's kind of like crows. You know mm -hmm. how you, you yeah. hear if you feed the crows, they'll bring you shiny things. Fairies are very much like crows. So you give them sweet things, you give them milk, you give them alcohol, and they will bring you blessings. They'll bring you things. They'll help you find things that are lost, that, that they've stolen, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's often the advice. Like if somebody if somebody keeps misplacing their car keys and they feel this fairy presence and they're like, oh, my car keys are shiny. The fairies are stealing them. Give them some, something shiny, you know, put something shiny on a little elemental altar outside, uh, you know, some shiny coins or something like that. And then boom, the problem is solved because the fairies are not forcing your offering. <laughs> so offerings are one thing. Yes, I've heard that for sure. And mm -hmm. that's good to know. And then do you have to keep doing it then? So do they get mad if you stop? Yeah. So it's like, if it's like build it, they will come. You have to keep it up. You can't just do it once and then forget it. And this is a similar practice in a lot of different cultures with a lot of entities, like in uh, Afro-Caribbean religions, you know, in Vodou, you, you hear of the Loa, and in, uh, in Yoruba, you hear of the Orisha. They will build shrines to the Loa or the Orisha, and then they have to continuously feed these shrines. It's like, you can't, you, you can't stop once you start. So it's, it's kind of a commitment. Yeah. I just want to make really sure people to. aren't like laissez-faire about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, uh, I mean... On the one hand, yes, they're already everywhere. But on the other hand, if you establish a relationship with them, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. And just like every relationship in your life, there's going to be some give and take and there's going to be some effort that you got to put into that. So, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a commitment if you want to really get into fairies and elementals. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And one other question before we move on, although I feel like I need to have you back to talk about more of this stuff later, is what do they look like? So are they human size? Or are they Tinkerbell size? Or are they lights? And I know that there's lots of them out there, so it's probably all going to be different. But in general, yeah. what is the typical kind of, how do you see them? Maybe we start with that. 
I see lots and lots and lots. I also have uh, some brain issues that make me see things that aren't there all the time. So I'm not the one to ask necessarily about that because I see a very diverse array. So there's person size. There's also small Tinkerbell-esque like things. Um, there's some that I like to call the carrot fairies because it's like they're, they're, they're orange and glowing and they sort of are like spinning when they fly. So they look like a carrot. Somebody actually shared a video on social media with me when I was asking if anyone knew of fairies that I could bring on like an expert. And they sent this video and I'll have to post it after this episode. And it's kind of a combination. It looks like wings, but yeah, they, they do look like carrots now that, that, now that you mention it. And in the answer as to what's the most common, I would say across the globe, probably the most common would be the will-o'-the-wisp style fairy. So it's just like a glowing light that mm-hmm. may just look like a diffuse tiny orb or, or glint that floats through the air. And, uh, you know, the legend is you don't follow the will-o'-the-wisps mm. in the woods because you they will get you lost, you know. So um, those are definitely the most common, I think, that people in general see a little glint of light that floats. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about that. It's, it's been something, like I said, I've been wanting to talk about for a while here. So let's move on to, you mentioned like Ouija boards and some of the other kind of divination tools that you uh, have either used or you have that magical practice with things. Um, Share a little bit about some of those. Okay. I'm a big divination nerd. So I love divination tools. I have all of them that I can get my hands on. So uh, what, in fact, my first book that I wrote for Llewellyn was Crystal Ball Reading for Beginners. And uh, it's probably actually one of my best books, the first one. So I guess that's a good thing. So check that one out for sure. Uh, I put a, a lot of heart and soul into it. And uh I wrote practices so that anyone can read a crystal ball. Like the way the crystal ball works is you have to find the right crystal ball. It can't just be a glass ball with no occlusions. Occlusions are those little imperfections inside the crystal ball Mm -hmm. that make it sort of, they look like little shiny cracks inside or little shiny uh, or cloudiness. And you have to find one that's just right. It's good. You shouldn't order one off the internet. You should go to a store where you can look at crystal balls, turn them in your hands Make sure that you can still see your hand through it if you hold it up so that it's not too cloudy. You want to see those shiny inclusions because those are going to, as you turn it, they're going to look like different shapes. Like when you're looking at clouds in the sky and you see shapes, I always say, you know, if you can read shapes in the clouds in the sky, you can read a crystal ball. Anybody can read a crystal ball. It's not this weird, mysterious thing where it's going to show you like a TV screen. It's going to be more like reading clouds in the sky. So highly recommend everybody read a crystal ball. It's a really great experience. And it's a great tool because unlike tarot cards, so people know about tarot cards, it's a deck of 78 cards where they they each represent the stage of the hero's journey. And when you lay them out in specific arrangements, they can tell your story. Tarot cards are great, but they are also a little limited, right? Because if somebody says, you know, describe my future husband, you, you can get a little bit of a description. You could say a little bit about the age range and maybe hair color-ish. But in the crystal ball, you can see some very, very distinct features, you know, and very distinct things about this person, you know. Uh, it, you can see an actual house and describe the house and where things are. So the crystal ball is, is more powerful for that. Uh, a lot of times people will say, well, what's more accurate, you know, tarot cards, crystal ball, pendulum, oracle cards. And I say, <laughs> cause it's yeah, another one, yeah, pendulums. What's mm-hmm. more, what's the most accurate form of divination. And I say, just like a hammer and a saw can both be used on wood. They are all, 
diff- best for different purposes, right? So um, when I was first starting my own private practice, I had this menu of different kind of readings people could buy. You know, you could buy a rune reading, a crystal ball reading, you could buy a tarot card reading. And I don't do that anymore because I find that as the expert, it's better for me to hear the question that the client has and then choose the tool that best answers that question. And of course, people can, if they still want to experience the type of reading, they can request that. Absolutely. But I think that each of these divination tools has its own power, you know, its own strengths and its own weaknesses, you know, so um, so yeah, all these tools are amazing, though. So like a crystal ball, thank you for explaining that. When you were talking, what I was kind of seeing is it showed me my mind's eye. So is the idea that if people um, want a tool to use or because like when I first started out, I was handed a deck of tarot cards and I was like, interesting. And it was kind of the doorway to allow me to better understand my psychic and intuitive abilities, but I don't necessarily always need any sort of tool, but is a crystal ball almost kind of like, because I have a lot of sight in my mind's eye or that clairvoyance. Is it about being able to see that through the ball or, and, or does the crystal ball amplify energy and messages? I think that, um, it definitely, because of course I have my mind's eye as well and clairvoyance. Um, I love using the crystal ball because I feel like it, it speeds things up and it makes things, you know, it makes things much quicker and more, more solid, you know, because as you turn it, you can see an image and you can actually stop turning and like stare at that image and really take it in. And, um, I find that when I'm, you know, with clairvoyance, it's like spirit's going to show you what spirit's going to show you. And if it wants to just give you a flash, then that's all you get. Yeah. Yeah, No. And (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think why I was being led to ask that question is, um, just again, if people are working on their own intuitive or psychic abilities, there are certain tools, like you're saying, whether there's a question that you want to answer that is going to be able to help you. And when you were talking about being able to turn it and then kind of look at it more, I was seeing a movie and whether you're able to fast forward, pause, rewind, hold into certain uh, messages or images. And that's how it kind of comes through. Yeah. So, and I like how you kind of mentioned that tarot was like your gateway, because I think that that's a great first divination tool because it also gives you so much symbology that you will later use with the crystal ball. You might, you know, you might see the three of swords in the crystal ball. And now, now you've, you've increased your ability to interpret that message because you knew what that meant from your tarot work. So all of these different tools together can really enhance just your natural ability because that's what they are. They're tools. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard about mirror work. Is Are mirrors then also a divination tool or, or yes. how's it different or, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to divide the divination tools into just kind of divination tools and scrying now. So we'll, we'll pull up, pull these apart. So tarot cards are divination tools runes are divination tools. Now over here, the crystal ball is a form of scrying. So you're looking for images, you know, in the crystal ball. And similarly, what you're talking about is a scrying mirror. And that's where you're going to be looking for images while you're scrying in the mirror. So it's a little more advanced than a crystal ball. I have a student right now who's um, working on learning to scry and also learning to look through a hagstone, which is a stone with a natural 
hole in it mm-hmm. to see fairies. Mm. And um, I, I feel like there's, there's, since she's not like naturally given to these sort of things, I've had to sort of step her up through these practices. So I was like, okay, start with the crystal ball. And once you're really good at seeing shapes in the crystal ball and things like that, then we're going to transition to fire scrying. And so you're going to look in the fire and you're going to look for images in the fire. And then we're going to transition over to a scrying mirror. Now, a scrying mirror is typically black if you buy or make one. Like you can make one by getting a, a picture frame, taking out the glass, painting the painting it black, putting it in the picture frame. Um, or if you don't have one, you can fudge it by getting a dark bowl and filling it with water. And so that's kind of the next step. And I recommend burning a lot of incense so the smoke is swirling around, getting yourself into a trance state, you know, and then working, giving yourself time to scry. And then once you're able to do that with some degree of consistency, then you can transition to the hagstone and being able to pull something out of your pocket in the woods and look Mm. through it for fairies. So it's kind of like a telescope, the the whole hagstone. (laughs) That's what I just saw. It's like they were showing me a telescope. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like your little forest binoculars for fairies. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, thank you for explaining because you see that in, I guess, again, movies or anything else where people are looking in a mirror, not the black mirror that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and or water. And it's cl- it's always clear or something, you know, that's more reflective. And so what does the black do? Does that, it, it's able, it's, because I guess the the mirrors on the back end. So energetically, there's still that power. And then the black is almost like that canvas that allows you to see more easily. Yeah. And, and ideally, if you can get yourself a, a convex uh, glass um, mirror. So what you can do is get a convex glass, like you go to a clock shop and you get like the, the, the face of the clock, the round mm-hmm. face, yeah. and then you paint that black. Cause you know what happens with the optical illusion when you hold something that's convex, you'll see the reflection of yourself is upside down mm-hmm. and it almost looks like it's floating a little bit. And so what you're doing is kind of this tool is allowing the images that you see to sort of project outward. And you're right. It's like a canvas. It's like this black blank slate for your mind's eye to sort of make its interpretations. Cause as we all know, you know, it's, it's really not our eyes that are seeing it's our brains that are seeing our yes. brains are putting together information that comes from the light that hits our eyes and then flipping it around. Cause it hits the back of our eye backwards our brains flip it around and then our brain adds a layer of interpretation. You know, this, this pink blob with red on it is actually a man wearing a shirt that I know and love. Right. And so our brains are doing all of this seeing. So the tool that you're using, the scrying mirror is going to be set aside for this purpose. That's one important thing. So you're telling your brain, this is the thing that I'm only using in this spiritual context to see spiritual stuff. That's important. And then secondly, you're going to these different things that we do with it, like having a convex surface, ideally, or having it black, ideally, using a dark room, burning incense, these kind of set and setting things are also telling your brain, okay, I'm ready, ready. Mm -hmm. we're ready to go. We're going to see this stuff now. And then you can allow yourself to enter a trance state. What's going on is you dip your brain waves change from the alpha wave states that they're in right now when we're talking into the beta wave states that's right between sleep and like the dream state, REM state. And when they drop into the beta wave state, 
you'll be able to perceive some things that you might not perceive in the alpha wave state. This is the time, you know, when you're first waking up or first falling asleep, sometimes people will hear a voice call their name or hear a voice or something. This is something that's natural and it's just something that our brains can produce. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to encourage this practice with the scrying mirror. Oh, that's so interesting because when you were talking, what I was seeing and hearing was what I call more that oneness, that state where we get to that vibration or frequency energetically. And also what I loved about what you were talking about was I call it intention or focus. So if you're saying that this mirror or this item or this tool is used for this specific purpose, that's the intention of it. That's the what you're setting out there. And so using the same types of steps, just not necessarily using the same words. Uh, and, And making that connection too with the brain, I think is extremely helpful to a lot of people out there listening because we do get sometimes too wrapped up in the woo, I think, and in doubt or fear in our minds of making this up. Is this not real or what is real and what isn't? And there can be some delineations and some distinctions there, but the fact that you just said it's our brains that are processing all of this, whether we're seeing with our eyes or our brains or anything else. The other thing I just wanted to quickly add is as you were talking about the, or we were talking about the canvas rather, is when I was really young and I would have a lot of thoughts uh, going in my mind, my spirit team told me, they said, in order to quiet your mind, this is before I understood what meditation was, and I'm not a very good meditator, to be honest. I try really hard, but uh, they said, picture a chalkboard in your mind. So I call it the chalkboard exercise. And anytime something comes into my mind, I see it written on the chalkboard and then it's erased. And then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then that quiets my mind and clears grounds, you know, again, whatever terms we want to use. And then I'm able to kind of start with that blank slate and get into a state of beta, I guess. I didn't even realize that maybe that's what I was doing. I love that. There's two threads that I kind of want to pull on Mm -hmm. here. One is you're talking about that intention. And this is important for people who see too much as well as people who see too little. Because people who see too much, maybe they experience hallucinations and they're very frightening. It can be really important to have a tool where you're like, okay, this is where you're allowed to appear, guys, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't want you showing up when I'm trying to work or drive or (laughs) sleep. You know, I want you to show up here in this scrying mirror that I've made for you. And so it can be a really good way to sort of compartmentalize that spirit life if you're a type of person who sees too much. Now, if you're a person who sees too little, it's also important to set that intention because like you said, if you're trying to see something in your bathroom mirror, you might just be sitting here and be like, staring at yourself. Yeah, I was brushing my teeth here a minute ago and now I'm like staring at myself like an idiot. This feels dumb. This is not real, right? And so it's important to have your special thing where you're like, okay, I'm committing to my spiritual practice. I have a tool. This is something that I'm going to commit to. I'm going to spend five minutes a day looking in here, just like I'm, you know, just like going to the gym. It's a part of my discipline and I'm going to do it until it works. And so for both types of people, it's great. The other thread I wanted to pull on was that amazing exercise with the blank slate, the the chalkboard. I love that. Uh, there's a lot of similar meditations like that one that I do that I heard uh, I've heard in mo- from multiple sources is you imagine yourself sitting by a tree with a river and then a leaf fa- leaves fall from the tree into the river and if you have a thought you write that thought on a leaf mm. you put it on a leaf and then send it down the river so it goes away and uh, uh, when I first started doing that practice 
I had a very busy mind. And so it became like a funny joke in my household, like put that on a leaf, put that on a leaf. Anytime you'd be like, ah, stupid thing isn't working. Like, ah, put that on a leaf. <laughs> yeah, it's energetically sending it off too. So that's not yeah. in your space. Like you were talking about clearing or releasing and, and being able to process. That's one of, that's one of many ways. Yes. Exactly. I'm a I'm big, big fan of meditation. So yeah, it's yeah. an important practice. That's what you'd written that you feel very passionate about meditation and mindfulness. Do you have anything else you want to share that has helped you and or helped anyone that's come to you like that that exercise or anything else? I think that, you know, really committing to meditation as a health practice is really important because it's it's really hard to meditate when life is really good or when life is really bad if you're not practiced right? Because if you're not well practiced, when life is bad, it's excruciating to meditate because you're being bombarded by all these horrific thoughts and you don't have the practice, the, the experience and skills and ability to release them, right? And when life is really good, meditation is boring, not going to lie. You know, you don't want to be sitting there. You want to be enjoying your amazing life. But when life is just okay, that's the time when you need to really commit and be like, just like brushing my teeth or going to the gym or eating breakfast, I need to meditate every single day. I'm going to set aside some time, even if it's just five minutes or even one minute to start. And I'm going to force myself to sit there and clear my mind, you know, use the chalkboard, use the leaves, whatever it is so that I can get there. Because after a while, you're going to teach your body and your brain to drop into that trance state, that beta wave state state. And then, then <laughs> when life gets bad, meditation is a superpower, you all, because you're going to sit down and you're going to let it all go. And you're going to be at peace no matter what is going on. Okay. And I have had like a big sob story of a life, no matter what is going on, you can be at peace with yourself. And that is a superpower. So that's just what I want to put out there. Like, I feel like spreading the, the word of meditation is literally you know, world peace. So <laughs> if you, if everyone listening, if even one person listening says, okay, I'm going to set a calendar date with myself to meditate every day. I would really love that. Yeah. And it may just, I call it my spiritual hygiene or our spiritual hygiene. Like when you said brushing teeth, going to the gym, taking a shower, we wouldn't not clear our energy or ground ourselves or meditate. However, that practice or whatever that tool is. And I do think that I, I say, seriously, but jokingly that I'm not a good meditator, but prayer and intentions are my form of meditation, trying to at least clear my mind or, and I always found that when I say intentions, when, so on the podcast, I have some things that are intentions and some things that are meditation. I brought on somebody who's a meditation expert and he has shared actual meditations specifically for people to start to build that up. So here's your plug. You can either try those or uh, whatever, but also intentions for me, it allows me because of all the things in my mind to focus on something, which is why that chalkboard exercise kind of helped me because whether you think it's meditation or not, it's still something to be able to clear your mind, but also still be focused on something moving forward. So what do you say to people? And I love that you said that it's best to really, I hadn't heard that before, not when things are great or things are going bad, try it when things are okay, because that's when you can have more of a dedication to it and a practice. But if somebody says, I'm not a good meditator, or I can't get into it. Where would you have them start? Is it just finding something that works and they, it's trial and error or is it sticking to it and just pushing through it? Um, I'd say both, but really the sticking to it is more 
is more important. Like whatever you pick, if you just stick to it, it's like going to the gym, you know, even after one month, you're going to see zero difference going to the gym, you know, but after three months, you're going to be like, wow, you know, I'm starting to see some difference in the mirror. Right. And it's like that. The consistency is key. I also want people to like, like you said, you have prayer is your meditation. Intention is your meditation. Just widen your idea of what meditation is because it doesn't necessarily have to be sitting in an uncomfortable position, you know, for a long time. What meditation is, is unclutching, you know, you're no longer clutching and clinging to all of these busy thoughts and all of the stuff that really isn't going to matter in a hundred years you're, you're unclutching all of that. And so how you unclutch is going to be different for different people. And also it's going to be different when you're beginning meditation from when you're meditating 10 years from now, if you meditate for five minutes a day, every single day, you know, I'm, I'm a practice meditator and I'm, thank God I am. <laughs> Cause when life goes bad, it's there for me. And I don't, I no longer have to rely on all these little tips and tricks and visualizations and things like that. I can just like sit down and drop into that headspace. And that's, that's really great. That's a, that's a power. It's also something that every it's foundational for a strong, powerful meditate magical practice. Cause uh, I teach a lot of witches and it, blows my mind how many people will come to me and be like, I want to be a powerful witch. I want to cast all these spells. And then they're just like, oh, but I don't meditate. <laughs> it's like, no, like if you want to be a powerful witch, you absolutely have to be able to drop into that headspace at the snap of your fingers, you know? And if you can't do that, if you're like, oh no, like I'm too smart. I'm too smart. My brain is too busy because I'm so smart. Like, no, like, then it's not about like, because you're an intellectual, you can't let go of thoughts. It's you have to be to be a powerful witch, you have to be able to release all those thoughts, center your intention in front of you and have only that. Thank you. Preach. No, I love it. And I think this is everyone's sign and message that if you've been on the fence, then this is the gentle nudge to start, just start at some point. The other kind of example that I was feeling led to share from my spirit team as they were also saying, you mentioned the gym. It also can be like when you go on vacation and you know, if you're on vacation, I always say, Vacation is not two or three days. Vacation usually is five or seven days because you have those two or three days at first where you're still stressed or you're, you're trying to get into that vacation mindset. Then you start to finally feel relaxed and then you're in it. So it is about just practice and, and having that focus and pushing through it. So thank you for sharing. Is there anything that we didn't get to? I know we covered a lot of ground here, but that you wanted to share that we didn't have a chance to talk about yet? Well, I just wanted to add one more practice because it just, I loved that vacation metaphor. One method of meditation that you can try is focusing on your third eye, that place in between your eyebrows. And whenever your attention drops, and you'll actually feel it like drop to your stomach, you inwardly go sound the ohm sound. And when you're a beginner, you're going to be doing ohm with every single breath. <laughs> and as you practice, you'll notice it gets you get some spaces between your ohms. And that can be really fulfilling because it shows you your prog progression, right? After three months, you can be like, oh, wow, you know, I only in five minutes, I only had to say ohm five times mm -hmm. instead of, you know, <laughs> 60 every breaths a million. Minute, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And when you said that, my 
third eye started tingling a little bit too. With yes, that. Mm-hmm. it's a really fun meditation. Everybody try it because you'll actually feel the tingle. Mm-hmm. You'll feel a pressure or a tingle in your third eye. Just keep that focus there and just sound the ohm inwardly. Sound the ohm anytime your attention drops. And it's a really powerful meditation, very healing. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else? So yeah, thank you for having me on today. Um, Anything else? Well, my current book that I have out is, this is the latest one, Modern Mudras. So um, everybody check that out. It'll give you some mudras to meditate with or enhance your spiritual practice. Um, I'm sure my publicist would like me to say that. Other than that, (laughs) I'm working currently on a book about breath work. So you can look for that one that'll be coming out eventually. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. Um, You can find my books. Yeah. No, I'd love to have you back to talk about the talk about your latest book too. We didn't have a chance to get to that. And I didn't want to just scratch the surface there. I feel like it would be great to go a little bit deeper if possible. But yes, so in addition to your books, um, I know that you provided some, you know, some, some websites and things like that. Where would people be able to reach you or get in touch with you? Sure. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com C psychic. That's S E E psychic. And that's where you can find my Facebook page and communicate with me there. Um, you can find my books wherever books are sold, including Amazon, but I would love everybody to go support their local independent bookstore and uh, go check out any of my books. Thank you so much again for being on. I appreciate it. Love to have you back. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a psychic story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.